You're listening to Tove, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, it's John Spirisavet and Dan Russ. Hey, Dan. Hey, John. It's been a while. How are you doing? Good, good. Actually, it hasn't been that long. We talked at the end of the last season. You right. joined us. Uh, and I see that you're being coached today by your very little baby. Yes, I am home on parental leave for a couple more weeks with my newborn daughter, Adina. She will be, oh goodness, she'll be five months next week. So we might hear some squeaks and squeals during this uh, during this pod. And, you know, I am not going to apologize for the adorableness that, that might be heard in the background. <laughs> Pretty adorable. <laughs> it's good. I'm sure that all the good things you say will be, you know, through her spirit uh, into yes. you. And, you know, I was actually thinking because I, I thought you might be around with her, or I just was thinking about her that the good place, if it had more music in it, it would be a great kind of music to play for the baby because it's got that sort of tingly kids musical sound to it. But it's not even like a single theme song with words, but it's, it's well, a nice background. Yeah, no, I, 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 that, that does make a lot of sense. I will tell you that when we put Adina to sleep at night, we have a favorite playlist that is the one that Jade and I like, kind of always listen to on airplanes to fall asleep called Your Favorite Coffee House on Spotify. Mm-hmm. And that's the playlist we play to put her to sleep. My sister heard this a couple of weeks ago and said, Adina has really great taste in music. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do we do sing. So so everyone should know. John gave us a CD of kids songs when Adina was born. Thank you, John. And, You're welcome. And we do sing like you know the classics, like you know Baby Beluga and the Deep Blue Sea and uh, Splish Splash. I was taking a bath and the Itsy Bitsy Spider. But you know we also just like our like mellow kind of coffee house mix. And and Adina <laughs> seems to like it too, don't you, Adina? Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. She really, she you know she really. She really like is an inspiring because of her deep and fundamental goodness. And coach is a good word for it. She's just like really giving me up some positive energy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is great. And uh, I think it's to the credit of Good Place listeners in the world that they have not attempted to create words or lyrics to the theme music of The Good Place, at least nothing I have seen. It really is hard to imagine. It's not, you, you know, even a I'll be there for you kind of song. It just wouldn't, it totally wouldn't cut it. You know, I I will always wonder how shows decide whether to have an opening credits. Like, you know, the classic Game of Thrones, like, I mean, I'm sure that somebody created lyrics for that. Whereas The Good Place is just like we have our cold open and then boom, green screen, The Good Place. And what they're trying to say with that choice. I really like that, that way of opening a show. So I'm appreciative of that. And so is Adina, apparently. Yeah, you are. You agree. You have some very clear opinions. I know. I know. Let me give you your webinar. Since there are a finite number of episodes of The Good Place, it has made me think about little special episodes to drop in. I was already thinking about food and teshuva and looking at scenes of eating and restaurants in The Good Place. And I think actually music, although there isn't that much music in The Good Place, it would be it would be interesting, but it's probably crazy. for... Another, I was gonna Does say, sing at all in the good place. I'm just trying to think about. Does this. anybody else sing on the on the cast? No, no, not not really. No, and so it would have to be for a different podcast where we talk yeah. about the role of music in in personal change. Oh, I see what you're saying. I was just I was just saying it was like <laughs> it seems like it's such a a missed opportunity to not have Kristen Bell 
sing. Yes, in, like, yes. Eleanor. I, you know, I, I, it didn't even occur to me that they. I could be wrong, but I can't recall an episode where that happens. No, no. And like what you're talking about, they do have these kind of dance occasions or parties where they play music and they they dance, but they don't don't really sing. You know, Uh, there's a a Kristen Bell ballad that I really like from Frozen 2 that kind of is is a good place kind of song. Do the next right thing. Yeah. And you're lost. Okay. <laughs> well, I, well, I am trying. One of the things that we've got cooking, I'll put this in because I hope we'll make it come to fruition, is that the people who do the podcast called Verses, which is Broadway and Torah, we've been talking about getting on and doing a joint one together. And that's exactly the kind of thing you would. Oh, my God. Sign do. me up, John. Sign All me right. up. All right. We'll have a group. We'll have a group thing. And also, when we are recording at the Jewish High Holidays of 5783, 2022, are sort of in sight. And and one of the things that's always fun is to send around a playlist of inspiring how to become a person who does more right things in the new year yeah. kind of songs we should create and post some kind of playlist and have a sing-along. <laughs> Love it. Well, you've been around last, really, for the beginning of season two and then for the, the end of season two, rap. So this is your chance, Dan, to say who, at the moment, you might think you are most like among the main cast characters of The Good Place. Oh, goodness. I mean, I would love to say that at this point, does Simone count as, as main cast? Yes, I, I did introduce Simone yeah. uh, when we kicked off the season. I just, you know, I love the vision that she has of combining the neuroscience and the moral philosophy that she brings, kind of like her and Chidi coming together. And so insofar as that is a matter of interest for me, if not personality, I would say that I'm feeling pretty simone in this season. Excellent. And anybody of them you would like to be a little more like right now? Oh, goodness. I would say you always say Janet, I know. because I know, I can't shake that. Yeah, can't shake the Janet. As I think about the episode that we are talking about today, which is the Ballad of Donkey Doug, I think the scheming Michael pulling the string background, maybe. Like, just kind of having the vision of how everything's going to unfold and all that stuff. Adina disagrees <laughs> that. She says, no, Dad, you should not be a schemer. <laughs> well, as long as you're not wanting to be a, a donkey Doug father, I think that she, oh, that's she cut you some slack there. Yeah, I was trying to figure out as I was watching this, like, what name Adina could give to me that would be akin to Donkey Doug. Like, <laughs> like I was just like, no, we're just... We're just going to go with dad. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, that's great. I should say that we are both recording out of sequence of The Good Place and probably also releasing this out of sequence. So if you're listening and wondering where the previous episode of Jeremy Barramy is, it will be here. And you're welcome, of course, to wait till that drops. Or, or we might make reference to it because we're all spoilers back and forth. So that one will be there, too. And we are jumping into the next one, into chapter 32. I should also say in the spirit of theme we will discuss and also earning good place points that the summaries that you have been hearing have been mostly uh, taken from Wikipedia, and I don't know who wrote them to give credit to, but I do know that I've lightly edited them and passed them along to And we, to we express our, our, our sincerest gratitude to all who contribute to Wikipedia. So thank you. <laughs> Which I have done. Have you ever done that, Dan? Have you ever written no, something? No, I, I've, I've never contributed to Wikipedia. That's a, that's, you know what? That's a life goal. A life goal. Uh, yeah. That on the list. <laughs> <laughs> 
So how about give us the summary of this episode? So the chapter 32, The Ballad of Donkey Doug, written by Matt Murray and directed by Rebecca Asher. Tahani and Michael travel to Jacksonville with Jason, where they learn that Donkey Doug is, in fact, Jason's father. Jason wants to help save him by helping start a career as an electrician. But Donkey Doug and Pillboy instead want to get rich quick by selling a combination energy drink and body spray made from stolen ingredients. Jason accepts that Donkey Doug is a lost cause and decides to help Pillboy instead. He tells Pillboy that he, Tahani, and Michael are astronaut spies and that Pillboy's mission is to fulfill his duties at his nursing home job and not commit crimes. Back in Australia, Chidi decides to break up with Simone and to avoid telling her about the universe and the afterlife, but can't figure out how to do it without lying. Janet sets up a virtual reality simulation where he can practice. It still goes badly, but Chidi and Simone speak and they part regretfully but amicably. The group unites in Budapest, where Tahani intends to reconcile with her sister Camilla. Janet and Michael tell Eleanor that her mother faked her death and is still alive. What a great cliffhanger, I have to say. Yeah. And uh, by the way, great pronunciation of Budapest there. Oh, yeah. Budapest. You can put in Budapest. <laughs> no, whatever. It's, I, think. Uh, I don't know. When, like, in, when in Rome, when in Budapest, yeah. I mean, speak I guess, as the Hungarians do. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that this is a brilliantly written episode from about the opening frames. You know, it just... <laughs> <laughs> it was this beginning scene there where, where Chidi is saying, well, after my chili episode, I asked the administration for a one-year sabbatical, and good news, they fired me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you bring that up, and I, as I was rereading the summary and kind of thinking back on the episode, one of the first things that struck me is this sense that Jason, Tahani, and Michael have when they go to Jacksonville, that the way to save Donkey Doug is to give him a career. And there's something so intensely capitalist about that in its own way. Like your value, your worth, your goodness kind of comes from what you do, what you contribute to the world, as opposed to some other kind of, I mean, I guess there's this, you know, sort of intuition that it will distract him from the things that are, you know, moment with Chidi at the beginning of the episode where Chidi has kind of said, you know what, my career, sayonara like there's more important things which is an interesting contrast i wonder what would have happened if chidi had been in the room with duck and Boy. that's you know that's an interaction i would have liked to have seen to be honest with you oh yeah they really do a split up it's not something we usually see yeah that's that's very interesting because i think that would be another special episode is sort of the role of jobs actually and ca- we talk about capitalism and philanthropy and spending money, giving away money. But actually, yeah, some of them are very identified with their professions. And then you've got your your donkey dugs and your Eleanor's <laughs> and your, uh, who, who's, who are not finding a great personal meaning through their right, you know, right, right. work, you know, quote unquote. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll also just say that I loved the, I, I feel like this was peak Shark Tank. You know, I can so, totally see Mr. Wonderful and Mark Cuban and Lori and all them doing their thing. And I, I just loved that, that little reference moment. <laughs> <laughs> Jason's saying, like, we have to get in before the other sharks get in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, they're going to bid on this. 
<laughs> and none of the actual sharks look like Ted Danson at all, really. Have you ever had an energy drink? Well, I guess what we call what would you call an energy drink? Like like Red has, Bull or Oh, like know. a caffeinated, like super Yeah, beer. like a hyper energy drink. When I was in college there was this thing called Jolt Cola, which Jolt. is like yeah. Okay. I, which was, you know, too much caffeine cola. The one time I've had an energy drink is I was on a plane. And there was a, a French person next to me, and he ordered two vodka Red Bulls. <laughs> so that so they bring him to they bring them to him, and I'm like just sitting there like okay, like trying to fall asleep. And then he like pokes me, and he hands me one of the Red Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, "You're gonna drink this with me?" And I'm like, "Am I?" And I did, and I I, I swear, John. I have never spoken better French in my entire life <laughs> than for that hour-long flight next to this guy who had just given me a Red Bull. I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to talk to me in French or, you know, he's a guardian angel of sorts or, a, you know, the, we'd use Moraderech, a guide along the way. But uh, I have not since used Red Bull for the purposes of speaking a foreign language, but... I will say that it, it proved quite effective. <laughs> I will. And we're going to leave this in. This is, we, this is our roundabout way to get to moral philosophy. But Fair I enough. will say that my first, the first time I had to pull an all-nighter in college, my next door roommate and friend was Italian, is still Italian. May he live a long life. And he had some instant espresso. And I was not a coffee drinker or a, a big caffeine-dependent person. And so at about three in the morning, I, I way diluted it about three times, you know, one-third strength drank this thing and I got through the rest of the day. That was my original old school energy drink. Since you're talking about jobs, I love this bit about Helmut, the substitute weight person at Chidi's final attempt to break up with Simone. <laughs> like that they really are intent on giving really good customer service at this place when that's the last thing that they wa that, that <laughs> Chidi wanted. <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was quite a moment. Oh my goodness! But actually, to your to your energy to think thing, it it also seems like this is a really good episode for writers coming up with combinations of things that don't go together and picking the one that worked. Like when they're meeting Donkey Doug, the Donkey Doug who's banned from Disney World for biting Buzz Lightyear. It's just like, how did they? In his defense, he thought it was somebody else. He created. He created like that would be just, He created a sport that was a cross between dodgeball and horseshoes, and everybody died. <laughs> they were on fire this time, boy. Yeah. Oh man, the the writers' room for this show must have been so much fun. I'll feed another couple of my favorite lines. But did you have anything else that you just? No, I I, uh, I was just. No, I don't want to talk about the axe body spray thing because I've never. I've never <laughs> I do think that they they have this interesting relationship all along with the law. We had in previous episodes Jason's thing. Like I think when he was down on the ground at a previous episode, he attempted to propose to the cop so that like everything that he said to her wouldn't would be not admissible. <laughs> but, but here they've got that same kind of thing, like where they're in the the factory and and Donkey Doug says that it's the if it's the police you have to tell us, and they had just said it's the Jacksonville police. <laughs> but the other thing with Eleanor, I sort of got in on that earlier because when she's talking about ghosting her exes you know that you just disappear and anything they left in their apartment belongs to you is that an ex-roommate or an ex i don't know oh no i think you that's know, it yeah 
What that reminded me of is the one Eleanor is asking Janet what her other people thought about her. Yeah. It's like, did not have a crush on you. Really? Yeah. And then they're talking about the, the woman who intimidated her. And, and she was actually intimidated by you because you beat her up in a ditch. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> when they meet Donkey Doug, you know, Jason, I thought you were dead, but I was alive. I was in Australia. I talked to you on the phone last week. Yeah, but I forgot. <laughs> very profound it's great yes. well so you want to take us into this episode thematically dan yeah so what i was thinking about with this episode sort of the heart of this episode is these two plots weaving together about you know the nature of deception and truth and lying and so chidi consistent as a kantian consistently troubled by the question of he, he cannot lie but he cannot figure out how to break up with Simone in a, for lack of a better way of putting it, loving way without lying. I loved, by the way, the, you know, sort of Facebook, Google simulate idea of the simulation and trying to, it was almost like poor Chidi was machine learning uh, <laughs> yes. in, his own, in his own way. And who hasn't wanted to play out a scene a bajillion times to try and figure out the right way to do it, but. <laughs> That's, there we are, Teshuva rebooting yeah. on a small scale. Yeah. Right, but the resolution of his arc with Simone there, he, he doesn't end up lying at the end and it, and it does end up causing pain, but uh, you know, they, they do part with a, with a measure of amicability. But then the plot with Donkey Doug decided to be decidedly to be the lost cause and Billboy ends with <laughs> a remarkable deception <laughs> about being astronaut spies. And this question of what is the idea, what is the meaning of truth when it comes to to goodness and whether or not truth and goodness actually go together or whether or not in certain instances we are allowed to bend or fabricate the truth in order to arrive at a at an end that is morally appropriate and morally true and so i i believe we've talked about the the sort of famous source a story of how one should dance before a bride mm. on the wedding day i'm sure that somebody has brought that up yep rebecca and i started yeah, rebecca, with that yeah. yeah your rabbi rabbi rebecca rosenthal my colleague from central and that's sort of like a classic tale of you know telling the white lie in order to protect someone's dignity. In this instance, there's something different going on because they're not trying to protect Pillboy's dignity so much as they're trying to change his behavior, notably for the better. They're lovingly deceiving him in this instance. And so what does that mean? And, and how do we understand that? And so there's a midrash that, that I found that I wanted to, to share that kind of speaks to this question of how truth interacts with other virtues and values. And so it's a story from Bereshit Rabbah, which is a collection of Midrashim, rabbinic kind of fan fiction about the, the book of Genesis, the book of Bereshit. And it's delivered by Rabbi Shimon. So the story goes, when the time came for the Holy Blessed One, for God to make the first human being, it's an amazing scene, the ministering angels made themselves into competing councils. One group said, we should create human beings and the other group said that we shouldn't. So the Midrash riffs on this verse from Psalm 85, kindness and truth met against one another and righteousness and peace faced each other. So the angel representing kindness says, create humanity for they will be kind. They will do acts of loving kindness. And the angel of truth says, don't create them because they will be full of lies. The angel of righteousness says, create them for they will establish justice. Angel of Peace says, do not create them for they will be in constant strife. So 
God hears these arguments against each other among the angels. And what does God do? God grabs truth, the angel of truth, and hurls truth towards the earth. Quoting from Daniel, you hurled truth toward the earth, whereupon the other angels said, God, what have you done? <laughs> Why have you chastised your seal? Which is the way that truth is referred to. And ends on this last verse of truth will arise again from the earth. Truth springs up from the earth. And so what I'm struck by as we have these competing questions of kindness and truth and righteousness and peace is that truth is ultimately the one that God decides to dispense with among the voices that are heard in heaven. God says, okay, that's not to say that truth isn't essential. Truth comes up from the earth. Truth still exists. Truth rises again. But ultimately, God can say, you know what? Humanity and truth in the service of righteousness, in the services, service of peace, in the service of kindness, truth is the one that we can kind of hurl towards the earth as sort of the earthly value, as opposed to these upper values of kindness and righteousness and peace. It's super interesting because you could do the same kind of thing with almost each of them and say there's something that is incomplete about the pure concept, even of kindness, that could be kindness for bad motivations or whatever, and say, okay, that's the one that requires more thought, you know, more drafting and revision. But it does seem like tradition does treat truth this way more as the thing which is hardest to come up with an absolute definition. And therefore it has to, as I'm, as I'm understanding what you're saying, rise from the earth, whatever its meaning is, is going to have to be, you know, earthly, it's not going to be a pure platonic concept or, or heavenly concept. We know that in the biblical conception, truth is very much connected to commitment and loyalty and faithfulness. It's not just a formal truth, you know, value of a statement you make, the the words of like emet and emunah are the Hebrew words, and they go together in that way. And that seems very much like what they're doing for Pillboy here is in this spirit, which is they're kind of working out a theory of truth that kind of works. It's not truth the way we would say true or false. But I guess they must have concluded that there's absolutely no way that they could tell him any other <laughs> more accurate statement and get him back on the right path. Astronaut spies, man. Astronaut spies. Who hasn't wanted to be an astronaut and a spy? <laughs> well, that's, you know, that is pretty out there. And how does it, how do they say it? Isn't, isn't it Pillboy who sort of quotes this back as saying, I had no idea you were, and, and Tahani says something, you know, truthful, like, those were indeed the words that, <laughs> that we said to you or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it makes you kind of wonder, again, sort of bringing this back to the capitalism piece, the way that they get him to be decent and good is that he has to be good at his job. And granted, his job is the most wonderful, although this is the episode, right, where he, he gives the lead. <laughs> what does he give her? What, what drug does he give her? Yeah, yeah. He's so happy about it, right? <laughs> but ultimately, his ability to manifest goodness in the world is dependent upon his service of other people. And that, that's the nature of his you know, chosen job. That's what he does. But it's not just his job, it's his name. Like we, we never understood till now that Pillboy oh. is, is, you know, goes <laughs> with his. And it's almost like, the, you know, it is spelled for those of you who haven't seen it. His name is spelled P-I-L-L-B-O-I, as though it's a coincidence. <laughs> He's the pillboy. We have mentioned, we have referenced this other Talmudic statement, how amazing it is when a person is like their name. And here he is, and he doesn't even realize it, that his quality as a pillboy is, is already there. Another question that this sort of invites this episode, titled The Ballad of Donkey Doug, 
is what does it mean to determine that someone is a lost cause? Yeah, because that is the truth that Jason realizes. And it is Jason who, who gets mm-hmm. that, that, that of these two people, there's only one they're actually really going to have a chance to save. And that's, that's deep stuff. Steep, especially when it's your dad. <laughs> when it's and when it's Jason <laughs> Mendoza, <laughs> and, and, right? <laughs> oh man! And that's uh, the hardest kind. That's probably the hardest kind of truth of all these things to say. That I mean, by you know, by cutting him off and saying, "Look, I'm not going to help you do this," and then you know, sort of poignantly rewarded by his father's last act, as we see him, is to do actually a good thing for Jason. Or at least a helpful thing. You know? A helpful thing. I'm going to give you time to escape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and why couldn't he have, you know, I guess, you know, he's thought of his father as just like, there are too many, he's gone too far down the road of these crazy get rich quick. Which Jason, I think, understands best because he's the person who continues to go at the dance company thing and legitimately do it. He's also chasing something, but it's not get rich quick because nothing quick happens you know nothing nothing successful in a conventional sense comes but he's genuinely trying to fulfill his professional dream the right way but it just doesn't work out for jason and and we should also say that like donkey doug isn't a lost cause insofar as he's a sociopath he just (laughs) (laughs) right like he's just a what's the word inveterate like you know good criminal he's just he can't help himself and to determine that he's a lost cause is kind of a it's kind of a sad statement when you know i mean i'm not going to that there are, you know, there are crimes and the, there are crimes and stealing the supplies for featuring hangs, body, whatever, body sprays. This, this is not high on the list of sins that we, you know, atone for. That would be a fun. We should put our, our good place confession. Honestly, on the list I think that yeah. the, 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 the bigger crime is, is not the theft, but the idea of the product in and of itself. <laughs> Now I'm thinking as you're talking that Donkey Doug has like this a whole bunch of things. He can't he can't really figure out what it means to be a father. He can't get straight what he wants to call this relationship between him and Jason. And he's just, of course, utter, <laughs> utterly <laughs> utterly befuddled by the fact that Tahani is technically Jason's wife. That doesn't mean anything to him either, you know. I mean there's a great twist to say that okay, Pillboy is the one because we we have experienced Pillboy before. That's the one we've met and he's every bit in fact he's worse than jason in terms of he's willing to do all these crimes and the whole you know whippets and the safe thing and we've never had any idea that Pillboy was anything other than jason's loyal sidekick who is not as committed really to to a path and and that's the one jason somehow chooses as the person that he could save Mm. you were asking about you know truth in 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 that well the get rich quick did you have a thought about about that i think that <laughs> adina does oh, no, actually that's not adina that was that was jade grabbing one of adina's toys oh. <laughs> adina, adina has adina has gone down for a nap let me organize a thought here about the get rich quick it kind of reminds me of help me out here with the actual really philosophical yeah. definition of truth. So what is it? It's justified true belief or something like knowledge is justified true belief, right? Or something like that. Sure, we'll go with that. Yeah. Like that. And so and there's like the correspondence theory of truth. I don't know what any of this stuff is, but whatever. So all of that is to say, <laughs> I remember reading once that there was a problem with this idea of knowledge being justified true belief because there's a thought experiment where you could end up 
thinking that something is is true and thinking that you know something, but for various reasons, it's actually not true. And so they had to add something to the definition of knowledge, which is this idea that you actually have to do some work to attain it. And coming back to this theme of the virtues of work, there is something to be said for the merit of putting in the time and putting in the effort and the the hazard of shortcuts. I mean, shortcuts in video games are great. And when you discover a shortcut or two in life, that, that feels pretty nice. But ultimately, what makes what can make for real meaning is the effort that you put into the journey that you're on. And so ultimately you kind of wonder with this trio of, of Donkey Doug, Pillboy, and Jason, why doesn't Jason have a nickname, by the way? Where's Jason's nickname? Oh yeah. Um, that's what would they do once they've arrived at, <laughs> at this, you know, at this aspiration of wealth? Like what, <laughs> what happens next? I mean, I, I, you know, I imagine that like the ultimate dream would be to, to you know buy the jaguars right (laughs) i think that it's buy a big ass mansion every day i'll wake up get out of bed brush my teeth rinse go downstairs open the fridge damn we out of milk oh there you go sorry (laughs) i missed that is that a that's one of the quotes i have to say by the way one of my favorite memories of being a high school teacher was i took a group of kids from the the solomon Schechter high school of long island to washington dc for a program on Judaism and politics and Jewish values. And it was up early so we could have our, our morning, to be load our morning prayers. And one of the kids who got down there early was a young man who I will not embarrass him by name in case he finds this embarrassing, who was always chewing gum constantly. He was the kid who we were constantly like telling, don't, don't chew gum, don't chew gum during prayers. I don't actually personally care if you chew gum during prayers. But but I just said to him, like, is there any time that you aren't chewing gum? And he literally did this, like, well, I get up, I put in some gum, I sit down for breakfast, I take it out to have breakfast, I put it back in, I get in my car to go to school, then you tell me to take out the gum. And he's and if I hadn't stopped him in exactly this way, it would have been the same. Oh, that's so funny. But anyway, but you, I think you're totally onto it, because the quote that you brought us from the Psalms talks about truth sprouting from the ground. And that's a that's a process, you know. I think maybe what what I'm now understanding in the text that you quoted is that some of these things could be okay at face value, like, you know, kindness or peace. There is a version of that that works right out of the box. And, and if you stumble into kindness, you're doing, you're doing okay. We don't have to question that. But this truthy stuff that is symbolized by the get rich, you're, you're absolutely right about that. Hmm. I love that. Which, you know, which actually does kind of create a bit of a link back to Chidi's desire to really get truth right in his Simone simulator. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I I forgot to go back to the Chidi part because I've been focusing so much on the on the donkey dog. But Chidi does put in the effort to tell the truth, as you said. He, he really wants to get it right really badly. So how many simulations does he do? Does it give us a number? I don't know. I didn't count them. Oh, you're so good. And I love the one where Eleanor comes in. I love the one where he's like, we need to break up, but here's a puppy. <laughs> Simone says, do you think I don't hear the bad parts of these sentences? <laughs> His name is Martin. I need my keys back. And he's a puppy. Well, so let me, you know, let me ask you, one of the themes that's come up quite often in these conversations is how rabbis, a lot of rabbis are cheaties. And we struggle to kind of give people the bad news, or we struggle to, it's hard for us to say things that, that might hurt people. I mean, it's hard for a lot of people to say things that might hurt people, but like, I, I, I certainly feel like 
I never want to say no. I never want to hurt anyone. I never, you know, at the same time, I think that there's something incredibly valuable to understanding that uh, to, you know, to put a cliche out there, the truth hurts some. Yeah. And it's actually interesting because as Chidi is trying to work at his definition of truth, he starts off by saying, I just wish I could end things in a way that I knew wouldn't hurt, wouldn't hurt her. Right. And I think in the past, he's just said, you know, lying is just an absolute wrong. I won't do it. And there are other cases where he's been given a chance to lie to help somebody else and he can't do it. And now he's trying to integrate that as like a, a reason, you know, which is more of a consequentialist take than we usually get from Chidi. And now he's now he's seeing it face to face. I'm thinking back to the episode where he won't even dress up and uh, misrepresent himself when they're in their costumes trying to get through the bad place museum of humanity in order to get to the portal. Like he won't help rescue the team by making up something about who he is, but he sort of does in that situation. So let me ask you another question about that, about Chidi's anxieties, which is, okay, so obviously the goal of not telling someone the truth is to spare her eternal eternal damnation by understanding the nature of the universe and, and you know, ruining her ability to win the point system. Would that have been any more or less painful if he had actually given a real reason for why he, you know, he needed to break up with her? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, would that have actually spared her pain? Forget yeah. the, 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 the consequentialist angle of like, okay, like she's, you know, going to her soul will suffer at the hands of bad place for all time. But in, in that moment of breaking up, I'm, I'm not totally convinced that that when it comes to these questions of love and relationships, that, you know, Chidi tries to arrive at the rational way and in, in, in the hopes that the most rational presentation of his decision will be the least painful, the most painless. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah, and uh, you dumped. <laughs> you dumped. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it's happening. <laughs> you dumped. <laughs> yeah, when he when he can't come up with that answer, that's the best that he can do at that point. It's just to like say, okay, back to my thing. Lying is, you know, I'm not going to say anything at all, which mm -hmm. is clearly his simulation, his iterations is not helping him. But then Eleanor says to him, just talk to her. Breakups never end with both people feeling great, but she's a badass and her world is bigger than your relationship. Oh, I love that line. You'll recover. Just go be a person. That, you know, that idea that her world is bigger than your relationship is really, uh, that's a lot. I really, I really took a moment when I heard, especially from Eleanor saying that. Yeah, no, I, I, I wonder if Eleanor could say that about her relationship with Chidi. Ooh. Right? Spoilers coming down the line. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, yeah, she distinguishes between feeling great and having a truthful resolution in that in that different kind of way. As a result of that, Chidi is just like, you know, things have changed and we're going to have to break up. And it is tough because it kind of puts on Simone the necessity if she says, well, you know, you've obviously arrived at the decision and that's not an easy thing for you. I don't understand it, but you're weird and maybe this is <laughs> So I don't know if you call this truth at all. You end up really with, in both situations, the Chidi Simone thing and the Donkey Doug thing, is they don't have the full, neither of them has the full story. And yet everybody's in a position where they can kind of move ahead in the path that they need to. And that's the question you really opened us up with, which is, is that is that okay? Can you call that truth? Mm. Or do not do not call that truth? Like I'm sort of like Chidi, like I don't, I want to call that truth something, <laughs> but I'm not sure. But I hesitate to call that truth. 
you know. Yeah. What what category is trying to think? In your initial read, I think of that midrash as that, no, that's the whole point. You know, truth is discarded from this pantheon because it just there's just no way to get anywhere with it that works, you know. Right. Which is that also al- hard. <laughs> well, ultimately, you know, when you think about how society functions, it's, it's almost like truth has to be the odd one out because we can't do things that are kind. We can't be universally kind if we're always telling the truth. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the teaching of the Hillel and Shammai and the bride. And uh, there are instances where people have to lie to each other or lie to themselves to make peace. I think the justice is the interesting one and the righteousness is kind of the interesting one that they kind of go together in trying to figure out how to be righteous without being totally truthful. Yeah, I think it doesn't seem like kindness is exactly, it's not the common denominator between the the Pillboy resolution and the Solomon resolution. I mean, Pillboy does feel good, but he's deprived of the the whole story. Simone doesn't feel good. I mean, she's sort of, they, they both have some kind of equilibrium and it's going to help them for sure. And, you know, Eleanor's right. Their worlds are bigger than this particular interaction. Jason says, I pretty much nailed that pill boy thing and I got closure with my dad, Donkey Doug. And I forget who it is who says back to him, that remains depressing, but I'm happy for you, bud. You know, which is a nice way to put a a bow on this without putting a bow on it. It is depressing to not have an answer. Here we are, two rabbis watching this profound philosophy show, and we can't come up with like a truth definition. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is, you know, there is this reading of truth that's commonly used, the Hebrew word for truth being emet, and aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, tav is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the mem is the middle letter. And so this idea that in order for something to be true, true, it has to be all encompassing. Mm-hmm. It can't be, it can't have any gaps in it because it spans the entire. But as we've learned from this episode, there are ways to manifest goodness in the world without being wholly true, truthful. So that's a tension that we have to re- wrestle with. You know, just to be contrary a little bit about that, you could say that the beginning and the end, like the basic anchor points have to be right. And there has to be some middle central thing, but that everything else in the middle is kind of negotiable, not everything else, but some things in the middle. I mean, I love that. I don't know. I mean, the, you know, we're in a position where we know that Simone is coming back and she actually, they are going to get a chance to interact with her again and sort of be part of her story. And of course, the first time any of us ever watched this episode, we didn't know that because that doesn't, that doesn't come till really we're in the transition to season four, but this is a hard, this is a hard one to, it's a hard loss here. The episode was so funny, and that's a big thud, I guess, that somehow, you know, slides for us. Like, I think we understand that this is a good thing, do we? I mean, that's the other thing is that their relationship, Chidi's so so crazy in this relationship that that how is she possibly going to stay with him, really, for the long term? (laughs) You know, to throw one more monkey wrench in the works of our conversations today, I I always wonder, because one of the questions that the show deals with, and and the reason, by the way, that, that we know that Chidi cannot reveal to Simone the nature of the universe is because her intention would be corrupted and that she couldn't get any merit points, is being told by a couple of astronaut spies you can't see the <laughs> quotes but you know I'm, I'm definitely using my finger quotes that you know you need to be good is that does that deception corrupt your intentions 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like the Pillboy story is also kind of a crazy thing. Like, he's not going to love his job, you know, more or sort of get, like they need to give him some, they're giving him some wider perspective, I guess, as you say, it's a total deception, in which his which his job makes sense and keeps him away from doing crime. It's not like inner reform. And I feel like the next one where they deal with Eleanor's mother has a lot more to do with with the soul of Eleanor's mom. So you really raise an interesting question here. Boy, this is the nature of Chavruta's study where you don't arrive, or Talmud's study generally, where you don't arrive at a good conclusion. I mean, you don't arrive at a definitive conclusion. You know what? As we said, to get to the truth and, and make it feel truthy, it requires work. And so we're doing the work. Yeah. And I love this episode so much. I mean, it was so funny. Yeah. I think I just have to say that, especially having seen you with your kids watching this show, that I, I can't wait to watch this show with Adina, and, you know, <laughs> however many years until it's developmentally appropriate. But uh, I'll focus on the list of Harry Potter and, and, and of course, the Torah of things that I can't wait to learn with my child. <laughs> so someone has to come up with a set of, of chewable, biteable, good place, like stuffed figures or little... Oh, little, yeah. Little, little board books of the good place. <laughs> oh, my God. True story. While you can't bite Buzz Lightyear, you'd be able to... Oh, yeah. Adina would bite Jason. Would, you know, I, I don't know that you can say that a, a toothless creature, a child, can, can bite anything without teeth. But she certainly would stick Buzz Lightyear's, you know, visor head <laughs> in her mouth to the extent that she possibly has. Well, thank you, Dan Ross. As always, great to do this with you. John, it's always a pleasure, and I, I look forward to, to talking more moral philosophy, good place, and Jewish ideas with you, and a lot to chew on, especially as we are you know, heading towards a rambling wreck towards the high holidays, as you mentioned. Elul, here we come. <laughs> here we come. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, John. And thank you, listeners. We hope this episode of Tove has been a good addition to your sitting still or your drive or exercise or doing the dishes. If it has, make sure you're subscribed and give us a positive rating and let other people know about the podcast. Interact with us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram at Tove Good Place, T-O-V Good Place. And shoot us a note about anything to tove at tovegoodplace.com. As always, we have some show notes on our website, tovegoodplace.com, along with other links and resources. You can find Dan Ross and his Jewish-themed workout videos on Instagram at R-A-V underscore W-O-D. And I'm John Spirosavet on Twitter and Instagram at RabbiJS3. And I've got other writings on RabbiJohn.net. Thanks again for listening. I close with a charge I've adapted from Mark Evan Jackson, who plays Sean and hosts the official Good Place podcast. Now, go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.